Let the celebration begin. Come to Cabela's 4th of July sale and gear up for Independence Day. Get 50% off Cabela's American Flag Chairs 2-Pack and 50% off a Caravan 10-foot by 10-foot shelter. Plus, get 40% off an Abu Garcia Cardinal Sapphire Spinning Combo and 10% off all in-stock canoes and kayaks. Don't miss Cabela's 4th of July sale, in-store and online at cabelas.com. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to do an NCAA tournament preview and got on the best guy I know for it, which is Dan Hanner. He writes for Real GM and Sports Illustrated. He's very knowledgeable about college basketball, so he and I talk about the tournament from the beginning to the end, teams like Kentucky and Wisconsin and Arizona, everybody in between, to the, to the bottom, the upset surprises early on. It's a great conversation, runs about half an hour. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Pleasure to join you. So I think the best place to start is you've obviously been going at this for a lot longer than most people. I like to think about the teams that, from your experience, are getting maybe a little bit too much or a little too little love in terms of the general conversation. In terms of the, okay, who's getting too much love and too little love? I mean, I, I'm surprised, you know, I, I guess I'm really torn on Virginia, because as, as I said, and it's part of it is just the visual image I have in my mind, Justin Anderson with his two fingers taped there in the ACC tournament, where he just did not look like the same player to me. I, I've seen so many people pick Virginia for the Final Four, and I, I mean, I totally get it. If Virginia had everybody healthy, you know, backline defense, they're really hard to score against. They've been having, you know, their second fabulous season in a row, but 100% healthy like that. I, I'm just surprised at how many people have, have sort of chosen them to go deep in brackets. I mean, you know, other teams that I think people are picking um, too much. I mean, this is kind of a hard tournament to make that, that statement in because, uh, as I was saying the other day, it's there are not a lot of really good mid-majors that made the field this year. You know, Murray State got upset. Teams like Georgia State, who Georgia State was going to be one of my upset picks for the longest time, and then Ryan Harrow, the Kentucky transfer, who's been one of their three players, he gets injured just in the final, in the com- you know, just before the conference tournament. And, and so... A lot of the mid-majors, you know, normally you look and you, you think, here are the two of just are, are locks to win because they've had such fabulous seasons. But those teams really aren't there this year, and so favorite teams move. And because a lot of the favorites, it's sort of hard to say who is, you know, particularly um, overrated. I, I mean, I do think, you know, we may see more upsets in the, the middle rounds of this tournament um, because so many of the favorite teams advance. But there aren't a ton of teams that I think are super overrated. I, I think the committee obviously made some mistakes uh, on some teams. I mean, but it's funny, I, you know, I think Georgetown was a little overseeded as a, as a four seed, but the committee didn't do him any favors by st- shipping out, out to Portland to play Eastern Washington and Portland, where Utah is also going to be in the same bracket. So basically everybody in the stadium is going to be cheering against the Hoyas. You know, they probably should have been a five or maybe even a six would probably have been more appropriate, but given that they didn't get a particularly favorable draw, it's not like they got a big prize for being overseeded. And I think, I guess, maybe in our auditory, given, you know, UCLA being in the field, certainly uh, a bit of a shocker, but this is actually what I've seen the committee do. I mean, usually 
you look and there's this what it looks like the region of death where nobody is you know there's so many brutally good teams there the, the committee just did a really fabulous job of, of putting good teams in each section and 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 i think you know people have sort of identified what those good teams are yeah, I think that what's so exciting about this tournament is that there might be less first round upsets, but to me, what I've been seeing is the second and third round, I think, could be really dynamic this year. And to me, the two biggest, most surprising kind of seeding and all of that matchups for me were Michigan State as a seven. And I said it as soon as the bracket was announced. I don't know. It's just a gut feeling. You've watched a lot more college than I have, but I feel like Wichita State has a really good chance against Kansas. And there's so much kind of personal and all of that history in that game that I'm legitimately excited for the possibility. No, I, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the other game, so I, obviously that Michigan State-Virginia rematch from you know their recent tournament history would be fantastic. It, it's funny because Michigan State is one of those teams that is actually one of the least talented Spartans teams that, that Tom Izzo has said. I, I think I ran the numbers early in the season, and they have fewer top 100 recruits than they've had in a decade. You know, if you just sort of look on paper, this isn't a dominant Michigan State roster. And yet, Tom Izzo has still won a ton of games this year in the Big Ten, and they do have top 25 margin of victory numbers. They've really, really been playing, you know, maximizing the talent they have. And I think they will give Virginia a very good game. Which, I mean, Wichita State versus Kansas, to me, I, I'm really not even sure at this point if Wichita State would be, you know, an underdog. And if they are, you know, maybe one or two points in Vegas. I mean, that, that, that seems like a fabulous uh, matchup. And the other first-round matchup that I – or second-round sorry second round matchup that really looks intriguing to me would be North Carolina taking on Arkansas. Because, you know, since Mike Anderson went to Arkansas, he, he's, he's had an up-tempo system. And, and the idea of USC and Arkansas, who both want to run, you know, playing in the same game, that could be one of the most entertaining games of the entire tournament if North Carolina and Arkansas advance. And going from one of the most entertaining to, to one of the least, this is obviously looking a long, long way in. But I, you, you talked about it in your in your piece for Real GM. But I feel like my just my instinct, having been around, followed those teams a little bit, I feel like a Kentucky Wisconsin game or a Kentucky Arizona game in the Final Four would be distinctly not fun. <laughs> well, it'll certainly be dramatic. I mean, I you know, and and I you know, I I had a little discussion on, on Twitter this with. So, so I'm definitely I'm definitely somebody who agrees with shorting the shot clock to 30 seconds, and that a faster-paced game would be good. But, but one of the things that I think you know people underestimate about watching Wisconsin and how they're entertaining to watch is that Wisconsin doesn't commit a lot of fouls. There aren't a lot of whistles in their game, and there aren't a lot of turnovers either. What there is is a lot of up and down basketball with players making shots. And I think you know we sit there and we say, oh well, there's not enough possessions in their games. That's 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 too boring or whatever. You know, the idea of Wisconsin and Kentucky just going up and down the court and athletic players making plays, it's not necessarily, it might not have the most possessions, the score might only be, you know, in the low 60s, but I, I mean, you know, Frank Comiskey is as fun a player to watch as there is in college basketball. There was a great thing by CBS Sports today, you know, looking at shot charts and stuff like that, and, and, and how he can score so above average from so many different areas on the floor. I mean, uh, you know, I, I really could watch that kid all the time. I think the other part of the reason for me is something having attended three Final Fours in person and having watched it for a lot longer than that is that you also now that they're playing those games in football stadiums, the first games of the Final Four for all these teams are always rough in at least the first half because it's the guys adjusting to the weird arenas. I feel like what's going to happen with that is Kentucky's defense is going to cause Wisconsin a lot of problems and it'll just it'll be a weird game but at the same time you know we, we can move on to Kentucky as well that 
I think they're really, really good. I don't think they're invulnerable, but they got really lucky that, particularly in their bracket, so on, in their region, I don't know who really has a shot at them. Absolutely. If you if you look in their region, I don't think there's anybody who I I just I don't see anybody there who could who could be a, a huge threat to them. And 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 I should also say, as you were saying, for you know Arizona in the Final Four, which is a, a you know I was I was talking about Wisconsin's possibility, but it's certainly a fifty fifty shot at least that it's Arizona who who would be playing Kentucky there. And and that would be the game that I think would be really interesting because of Arizona's length. And and we've seen games that they've played this year where if, if it was Arizona and Kentucky in one of those huge football stadiums, you know. You could you could be talking about a, a real brick fest for a long time as nobody can get any inside baskets, nobody can get any clean looks, which which is why Arizona could you know definitely be competitive in that game as well. Um, but you're 100 percent right on Kentucky being um, you know having an easy draw, and and I think you started to say there, you know, uh, is Kentucky invulnerable? Can they not be beat? I you know one of the things is we tend to pick apart these players so much for so long and. And some of them, and, and I think with, with the way Kentucky has had so much talent this year, you know, we really haven't had a chance to, to, to note or figure out what the flaws of these different players are. I mean, I certainly don't think, you know, all their players are perfect, but, the, you know, when they're only playing 25 minutes a game, um, when they're only playing in the circumstances where they're guarded one-on-one, they've never been double-teamed, you know, you really are, are, you know, certainly a lot of guards, some of the forwards have been double-teamed, but we haven't picked their game apart the way we tend to pick apart uh, some of the other, you know, super elite athletes, and, and so, you know, in a competitive environment, we, we don't necessarily know what their flaws are. Right now, they look nearly perfect, but if, if they're playing Arizona and it's 42 to 42 with three minutes to go in the game, it could be interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I also think that Kentucky's biggest weakness is that I feel like their offense can come and go. And so what there aren't that many teams that fit this bill this year, but to me what their biggest weakness would be would be against a team that can just get theirs regardless of, of what the other team's doing. You know, the guys who who you can think of it as just a shooter or whoever, but the the guys who can just they're they're just shot makers or whatever like that and I also think that teams without big men probably are going to be better against them because when you have Towns and Colley Stein, I just think you're not going to score on the interior anyway. No, but it's you know it's funny. I mean, I like I would much rather have had Duke or maybe an Iowa State or even a some team like that be able to play them somewhat earlier in the tournament than you know Notre Dame, who I think a lot of people are picking for the Midwest final because Notre Dame does not have a lot of size in the middle, um, and and I just feel like. Maybe Notre Dame will be able to breeze against Kentucky, but Kentucky is going to just be able to destroy Notre Dame in the paint, and they're going to, you know, uh, and, and as you said, Kentucky has droughts, but one of the things this year is they have such incredible offensive rebounders that even when Kentucky misses shots, a lot of times the missed shot for Kentucky is the best offense because yep. they just, the big guys goes up and gets it. Yeah, and they have so much depth that the, they don't have to deal with foul trouble as much. You know, if if Collie Stein or Towns gets in trouble, then you just throw in someone else, and that's a, a luxury that other teams don't have. And whether they're going platoon or they're not going platoon, they just have so much flexibility. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I've said I, the reason I'm actually really confident in Kentucky right now is because they've you know tightened the rotation down to eight guys. Marcus Lee really not playing meaningfully minutes at this point of the season. But, you know, Marcus Lee is not a scrub. I mean, even last year in the NCAA tournament, there were a couple times when he had to come in in games because of foul trouble and uh, the injury situation to Will Colley-Stein. 
And, and he played well. And so, you know, right now Kentucky has three bigs who rotate, you know, pretty well. But if, if Marcus Lee has to come in as the fourth, uh, you know, it's, it's not a, a, a huge drop-off uh, in terms of, you know, rebounding and, and, and defense and things like that. So, it's, yeah, it's, they have quality depth, and they also have players who really, I mean, it's, it's the knowing their roles. I mean, I think everybody on that team, you know, sort of knows what they can and can't do. And, you know, they're playing to their strengths right now. Yeah, and so you and I talked about before we recorded this that one of the one of the things with Kentucky is since we're not really questioning that they're going to make it in a while is how to make it interesting in a way with one of their games and something that you thought of which I think would be fun is with whatever amount of group of people you have to pick a certain group of people and just see who scores more points. So we, you and I talked about doing that as a game. Without your knowledge, I flipped a coin just now. Do you want heads or tails? <laughs> I'll take heads. Okay, so it was tails, so I'll start. So we're going to do two people. I thought about this, and considering they do an eight-man rotation, you could run it with three people as well if you wanted, or four if you really wanted to. That's the nice thing about an eight-slash-nine rotation. So if I have first pick, in terms of all we're counting as points scored, I'm going to go with Aaron Harrison. Yeah, it's, it's pretty logical. I, I should have probably done something complicated with blocks and steals and assists, but uh, I, I'm going to be too lazy when the tournament's going on. But, yeah, just to, to set the stage again, so we're going to do a, a fantasy draft of the eight guys from uh, Kentucky. And the, the, the whole point here is, when, when we're watching, you know, presumably Manhattan, but Manhattan or Hampton get hammered in the first round and we're, we're watching that Kentucky game, at least make it interesting to have uh, something to choose for, which is these guys, uh, you know, get points for Kentucky. So, yeah, logical first pick. I'll take Devin Booker as the logical uh, second pick. You know, both guys, you know, tremendous shooters. And, and I think both guys are likely to see their roles increase in the tournament for the simple reason that it's happened late in the year that, that, that Kentucky has gone with three guard lineups more often. And, and the whole purpose is to have more shooters spread the floor more against zone defenses or people that are packing it in the paint. And so Aaron Harrison and Devin Booker are the logical two guys to score a lot of points. And since I get to go third, I'm happy because I get to take the guy that I would take number one in the draft. And you don't have to touch that if you don't want to Carl Anthony Towns. Right, so uh, I'm glad you took Carl. Uh, the part that I will is I'm foul trouble issue that you said. You know, it's not that I don't think Carl Anthony Towns can dis- can stay in games and play without fouling, but John Calipari has basically said to him, "Go all out. Don't worry about whether you're in foul trouble or not." And if there's been any guy on Kentucky who tends to get in foul trouble and end up sitting for most of the game because he really can't play. Uh, it would be towns, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean that's necessarily a skill that'll translate to the NBA. I think it just has to do uh, with the way he's being used right now. But since you said you like him for the top of the draft right now, why don't you uh, give me a little uh, your thoughts on why that is? Okay, so to me, the most important thing that a center can do, ideally a big man, but a center is protect the rim. And so the reason I don't like Gio for in that sense, he's still obviously a great player, fabulous player, is that. It, to me, it, you have to take a big leap of faith if you're going to take a big man who can't do that, and I definitely think that Carl Towns can. And I think that the weaknesses in his game, though I don't think there are many, can be easily corrected, and I feel like the right coach can get a lot out of him at the professional level. Yeah, no, I I mean, I, I can totally buy that. I mean, I, I have soured on Okafor a little bit uh, lately. Although, I mean, you know, the thing I think we need to consider with Okafor is, I mean, I, his footwork, I, for a player of his age, I mean, you can work as you, you know, you grow older and you get to the NBA and stuff like that on footwork and things like that, but... I just don't remember an 18-year-old who, who's so mobile. I mean, Kaminsky is having great footwork and great mobility. But my, my, my main concern with, with Anthony Towns is really, is, is I don't think he has necessarily been, as I said before, faced the challenge like some of these other players because teams have had to play him one-on-one a lot more in the paint than you would necessarily expect because, because Kentucky shooters can make shots. And, and, and I just feel like his game hasn't been expected 
exposed as much uh, what his weaknesses and what his flaws are. But but the truth is, I think that defensive point is a really good one. And and if you're looking at it, you know, in a, in a draft with a lot of great centers, you know, might as well go to my next pick, which would. Uh, uh, oh boy! So I so I got to make the choice between Will Colley Stein and Andrew Harrison, who are fairly similar in points. I, I'm going to go with Will Colley Stein over Harrison, and uh, I'll probably explain the the logic against uh, Andrew Harrison if you don't pick him in a minute. Although that would be pretty logical. I think Colley Stein is going to be on the floor a ton for Kentucky in this tournament because he he really is that unbelievable defender. I mean, I've never seen someone who. He's a center. I mean, he can defend centers, but he can also defend small forwards, move his feet. Uh, I really thought his draft stock was going to fall this year going back. I thought his minutes would be limited. I, I just don't really think it should. I mean, he, he, has, he has done everything and more and continue to get better. And, uh, you know, he may never be the, the dynamic offensive player that Carl Anthony Towns will be, but, but there are a lot of teams that could use, you know, a, a center with the, the mobility, the shot blocking, the, you know, the, just the overall defensive ability of Will Colley Stein. Yeah, to me, what Will Colley Stein is, is he's what DeAndre Jordan's draft pro- stock should have been. DeAndre Jordan was a really talented guy, and DeAndre was a freak physically in a way that Colley Stein isn't, but Colley Stein is a, a more cerebral player in a way that DeAndre wasn't at the time. But what he is, is he's a guy who does the most important thing for a center to do in today's NBA, and he does that really well. I've had Colley Stein in the top 10 of my draft board since he was a freshman, and there's a reason for that. I think that he is going to really work at the next level, and the best argument for him in some ways is what Rudy Jobert has done for Utah, is that he's just a really good defensive player, and you can get scoring for everywhere else on the floor. And he can do it in transition. The reason I would have taken Stein, and I'm going to take Andrew Harrison, but why I would have taken Stein, I would have been happy with him in the next round, is the first half of their first two games, I feel like he's going to annihilate because he'll be juiced up and he'll get a lot of points in transition. And that's going to be huge. I mean, because they're until they sit him because they're up by 30, I think that he was going to get that opportunity. And so now I have both Harrison twins, which I'm not super happy about. So, so, so are you going to take Andrew Harrison, or are you going to move down and, and surprise us by taking No, I'm taking Andrew. I have to. I, I And that will be kind of exciting to have both of them. <laughs> well, at least if you're, uh, if, you're, if you're going by visualization on the screen, you won't have to try and uh, look for their number to figure out who it is. But uh, All right, so uh, then, the, then the case for me, hmm, boy, you know what? This is a really tough one. So I'm, I'm certainly, the next three choices are pretty clearly Trey Lyles, Dakari Johnson, and Tyler Ulis. And, and I do feel good about Trey Lyles. I, I do like him a lot. But I, I think I'm going to just you know, jump to the, the, the gun in case you switch off on this. And, and, and I'm going to take Ulis because I really think in this NCAA, I mean, we've seen his minutes start to, to, to tick up a little bit here at the end. I think Ulis is going to be a big factor in close tournament games late in the tournament. I, I just think he's the point guard who can penetrate. He's the point guard who defends better. And, and I think even though he's sitting there at 5.6, he's not a super aggressive offensive player. I, I just think he's going to play a big role uh, late in the tournament. I would have taken Ulis over, over Lyles and Johnson. So that was a good pick that you did that. I'll take Lyles. And so I, I'm assuming you're going to take Dakari. Yeah, so I'll take Dakari Johnson, who I don't think we, we dislike as much as it was last year. I, I think Dakari Johnson is the super talented center who just happens to be the you know behind some super talented players on the Kentucky Wildcats. So I want to move on from them to a team that you have in your Final Four. I believe you might even have them in your title game. You do, of Iowa State. They're a really well-coached team, and they're a really good team. But a point that you made in that that I think is really important to understand about Iowa State is that they're, the differences between last year and this year make them a, be, a better, a more likely long-going tournament team. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they really just have a more versatile lineup. I mean, last year they were a fun team because they had, you know, everybody could shoot, and they had some guys like Dustin Hogue, who's only six foot six. But he's a, he's an incredible rebounder, and so they they really you know they they did they made the most of their talent. They played great, but you know if Iowa State was going to face a team that had a lot of big forwards, a lot of big guys, they didn't really have you know somebody to, to match up. I mean, Georgie Yang is is phenomenal, but you know you really want him available for his offense. You don't want him to be banging down in the post. And so you know getting Jamil McKay this year, who was going to go to Marquette, I believe, and ended up transferring to to Iowa State, uh, he. You know, he's just been a big, big addition, and his his playing time and his production has only increased as the season wore on. I we got a little info from the team early in the year that we thought he was going to to play a lot, and and then you know early in the year he really didn't, but he, he's come on, and 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 the other the, Abdul Nader as well is another guy who hasn't necessarily played a ton of minutes. But he's another sort of big body that they, you know, sort of versatile that they can throw in there in various circumstances. And so this is just much like Oklahoma. You know, they're a team that's going to depend on their starters and their main primary guys for the scoring and stuff like that. But they just have a little bit more versatility this year, I feel like, um, if they get into certain, you know, matchup situations. And something else that goes in their favor is that their number one seed, Duke, has tough matchups every round after the first round. I feel like San Diego State, while not certainly the favorites in that, has a reasonable chance. And every single round, Duke will face a team that, as long as they make it, that will be a challenge for them. No, that's exactly right. I mean, (laughs) San Diego State is not a fun team to play. I mean, they're just... Their length at every position, they're a great defensive team, um, and, and they've made runs in the tournament in recent years. A lot of those players are, are still back. I think Xavier Saints is in the NBA now, but you know, just about everybody else is, is back on that squad. And um, so I, I agree. I mean, in, in some senses, I, as I wrote about, like the South region, I, I think there are a ton of defensible picks across the board there of, of really good teams. We talked about Iowa a little bit in, in the intro there, that they're a hotter team than people necessarily expected. If you actually, I'm, I'm going to micro bracket instead of the macro. The, the 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 one spot that I think is the hardest to pick, uh, as we said earlier, is, is the the Virginia, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Providence section, where where even Providence, I, you know, Providence is a team. I'm a little surprised at how much Dunn's stock has risen at point guard there for Providence, uh, but with Ladonte Henton and Dunn, they so two two ICs undersized. I, I don't know, but. But who has, you know, legitimate star NBA level talent to them? To, to be maybe the fourth choice to come out of that little section of the bracket, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting uh, section to see who, who ultimately advances uh, in, in that half of the East. Do you happen to know what the other two teams are in the Virginia Michigan State game? Because I was trying to think about how the, the fan atmosphere in that will be. Oh yeah, that's uh, uh, so. It's Georgia and Belmont, and you know Georgia's one of those teams that I really feel like ah, it's it's such a an odd feeling. I, I don't have a really good feel for them. Their, their power numbers have been better than expected. They obviously played pretty well against Kentucky late in the year, uh, but but that Nemanja Durisic, uh he he had a you know the game of his life against Kentucky there, and and I um I just you know Michigan State's been playing so well that I don't think Georgia will have much of an effect, and Belmont. Um, is a really well-coached team. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, so it's in Charlotte. And so you're, I mean, it's going to be Virginia fans for the most part in Charlotte. I wouldn't think Michigan State's, you know, Michigan State will have some fan base. Well, the one thing I'll add is, so that game would be a second-round game, so that means that the other one will be Duke, presumably against either San Diego State or St. John's. And as somebody who's been there for the second round a lot, it's going to oh, be really right. fun. It's going to be really fun because... 
I don't know how Duke fans feel about Virginia because a lot of times you would think that conference <laughs> conferences would root for one another, but from my experience, it depends on the the personal feelings between the fans. Like when UCLA and Washington were in the same place, the Washington fans rooted against UCLA, but the UCLA fans rooted for Washington because they hated us a lot more than we hated them. So that will be a factor, but it's in Charlotte, so I think Virginia will have a lot of people. Michigan State usually travels pretty well, but as we always say, that's on the margins. You know, that's very rare unless you get into those circumstances where it's the only exception to that is a true Cinderella gets a home court advantage, gets a home court advantage for the last five minutes because everybody yeah, roots no, for them. Yeah, yeah, it's oh yeah. They, trust me, I've been to plenty of Duke NCAA tournament games. The entire stadium turns against Duke. Well, it was a pretty memorable one in DC a few years ago. I feel like it was against Beaumont or something like that. But yeah, no, they, that's a good good point. And and I do worry with Michigan State fans. Not that they're not. I mean, Michigan State fans are some of the best fans in the country. But in a year where they're a seven seed, where they didn't necessarily have as high expectations, I'm not sure this is the year that they will travel. Uh, as well as usual, but how, how Duke fans feel about Virginia, it's not Duke fans aren't necessarily going to cheer, cheer for North Carolina, but eh, they might feel slightly different about Virginia. That's that's a good question. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fun to see. So, uh, are there any other things in the bracket that you think are really interesting or compelling? One thing that you mentioned is that Valparaiso hasn't played a single NCAA tournament team, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what way that cuts, right? I mean, on the one hand, they, you know, they haven't been challenged to to some degree, but on the other hand. You know, and especially for a lot of these. I mean, I think that's what we love so much about it is, you know, these teams have made the tournament. They're all on winning streaks. They've all played well. Those kids on Valparaiso, they don't have any reason to think they won't win that game. They they believe. They've been successful. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting. I, I think, you know, probably looking about uh, your UCLA squad, as we, we started to say at the beginning, and, and who, who got into the, minute, the tournament at the last minute. So the question you asked me before we got on the you know, the podcast was, how should you feel about it, your team getting in or getting overseeded in some ways. And, and, I, and I say this like, your litmus test for being a somewhat uh, rational fan is that you can point to instances where your team has been overranked, overseeded, got lucky to get where they ended up. Um, if, you, if you feel every single year your team has been jobbed for the committee for the last 10 years, then there's probably a good chance you're not looking at things rationally. But UCLA... I just, you know, they didn't have the quality wins. I felt the same way about Texas uh, not having quality wins. Um, with Texas, it's like, you know, people say, oh, they were two in Big 12 teams or, or something. And, and the thing I said is they were two and four against quality teams in the Big 12 at home. I don't care if they couldn't win on the road against quality teams, but, you know, you've got to be better than two and four at home in order to earn your way in. And UCLA just didn't have very many of those quality wins, period. And so I'd never like to see teams like that get in because – you know, at a certain point, the regular season has to be about winning. It can't just be about looking good, you know, like, well, we looked good against Arizona. That was why we got in. That Wins and losses should have some bearing. But having said that, both Texas and UCLA, teams that have the talent to advance, UCLA, it just depends, you know, their five starters, how well they shoot. Uh, it's going to depend a little bit on Tony Parker, how well he plays defensively against a pretty good front line for SMU. I've just had mixed feelings about, about Parker this season. I, you know, I expected him probably to do a little bit more. The, the guards have been inconsistent with their shooting at times, but he really hasn't quite developed as much as I, I would have expected. But, but you know, you got Kevin Looney, who's probably going to be a, a high NBA pick. It's, uh, you know, it's good to be in because you never know. Even when it's not your best year, if you're in, you got a chance. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Uh, one question that I wanted to let you let you out on is: Do you think there's a reasonable chance? I don't think there is this year, but you might of uh, 16 or 15 winning a game. 
Yeah, no, I, I really, I really don't. I mean, uh, this is this is just not a year where enough of the strong mid majors won that anybody you know seated down that low. It's just very good. I mean, I was looking at the four teams too. You know, there there are years where you feel relatively strongly. I might if if Georgia State didn't have that injury, there are fourteen. I might have felt decent about Georgia State, but. Uh, you know, if if a 14 or a 15 wins this year, it will truly be shocking. It won't be one of those years where we go, oh, yeah, well, they were pretty good. We just, you know, they got seated a little too low. Uh, it'll be a true shocker if one of those teams wins. Do you have any idea why they didn't put Georgia State with Louisville? Because, Kev, that would have been an easy storyline. <laughs> well, you know, I think they, they theoretically don't do this based uh, on storylines. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually a little disappointed that Irvine faces Louisville just because, Big guys are, you, they draw your attention in some ways. You know, Georgetown's Josh Smith, 350 pounds, he's played for UCLA. When he's on the court, you can't take your eyes off him. You know, you just want to see what is this big guy going, you know, people are going to run into him. Is he going to push his way around? You know, like, you just want to see it happen. And UC Irvine has this seven foot six center who, I, I mean, I don't care who you're playing against, seven foot six looks big. And so you throw him the ball in the paint. You want to see, is he actually going to be able to move that lumbering body and get a basket? Is he going to be able defensively to stop people from scoring? You know, will he slowly move over and block that shot? You, you can't take your eyes off him. But I don't like UC Irvine against Louisville just because Louisville's got a lot of big bodies, and Tino's is going to sort of know how to attack that. It's just um, unorganized. So I'm a little disappointed with that. But I think, you know, he'll still, it'll still be fun to watch that guy in action. Absolutely, and I, what I'm so excited about with this tournament, we've talked about a little bit, is that I think that the first two days will be all right, but I think the first weekend and then Thursday, Friday of the second weekend are going to be absolutely incredible. No, that's, that's right. I mean, you know, as much as we enjoy those upsets, all upsets do is make the later part of the tournament less entertaining, and if there are fewer upsets, it means good games later, which is exactly what we want. Thanks so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Yep, thanks a lot. Thanks again to Dan Hanner for taking the time to come on. You can read him at Real GM and Sports Illustrated. You can and should also follow him on Twitter at Dan Hanner, D-A-N-H-A-N-N-E-R, especially these couple and coming weeks. He's a great guy to follow. And also, for me, I love talking to him at the beginning of the season so he can tell me what to expect. And this should be a great tournament. I'm hoping to do a podcast either over the weekend or early next week talking about the draft prospects because... While the tournament is important, the other reason that's important for NBA fans, which is mostly what this podcast does, is the draft guys. And most of those players should be making it to the second weekend, so I think that timing will work out pretty nicely. As always, uh, I'm going to do lots of NBA content as well. You can send any comments to me on Twitter at Daniel LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or to daniel.larue at realgm.com. I read everything, I respond to as much as I can, and I do always appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening, take care, and make it a great day.
Hey, Greensburg, your Walmart at 2200 Greengate Center Circle has completely transformed to make shopping easier than ever. Stop by today and check out their amazing in-store upgrades with improvements to areas like produce, cosmetics, home, and more. Plus, you'll still find low prices on groceries and other items and a full-service pharmacy for all your prescription and over-the-counter medication needs. All at your newly remodeled Walmart at 2200 Greengate Center Circle in Greensburg. Save money, live better. Walmart. And this is my impression of a drill instructor directing a musical. Town hut! Get those tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands! Are you bundling your home and auto insurance through Progressive? Can you hear me through those sequins? Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Left, left, left and step ball change. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers.